This message was presented at the GYC 2010 No Turning Back Conference in Baltimore, Maryland. For other resources like this, visit us online at gycweb.org. Good morning, GYC. Happy Sabbath and Happy New Year. And I want to thank God for the time that young people spent last night, as Justin just said, praying for God's church, praying for revival and reformation, and praying for me. Let me tell you, it is personally very touching. We need to pray for each other. We need to pray for God's work. And as we will discover in just a few moments, as we begin to look at God's Word, we need to pray for the power of the Holy Spirit to bring us the latter rain so the work can be finished and Jesus can come. What a privilege it is to be with GYC. I want to thank Justin for his very gracious introduction. It is a privilege to be here. And as the choir was leaving, and what a magnificent choir we had, I appreciated their messages to us in the special music as well as the offering appeal. As I watched them come off the risers, two or three of them spoke to me. And one of them said, God bless you, Elder Wilson. I want to tell you that really means something to me. Let's hold each other up in prayer. I want to thank the GYC leadership for inviting me to GYC. What a blessing it is to worship in such a large group of committed Seventh-day Adventist young people, hearing literally thousands of voices of young people singing praises to God and seeing so many youthful faces that are radiant with a spirit of Christian unity is incredibly encouraging to me. However, as grateful as we should be for the continued numeric growth of GYC, and you just heard some of those figures just a few moments ago, we must be always mindful that its true success, its real success, is not measured by numbers. The true measure of GYC's success is nothing other than the unwavering devotion to Jesus Christ and by extension its unfaltering commitment to the mission and the message of the Seventh-day Adventist Church. I'm so glad to have heard Justin say faithfulness. God will reward that. It's a privilege to strongly endorse GYC as it champions faith in the Bible, heeds the counsels of the spirit of prophecy, promotes service to others, and engages in evangelistic outreach. I wholeheartedly support any youth initiative, denominationally organized or otherwise, that strives to maintain such wonderful ideals. And what a privilege for the Columbia Union, the Allegheny East Conference, and the Chesapeake Conference to have the GYC annual convention meet here in their territory in the great city of Baltimore 
and to go out into this enormous city by the thousands this afternoon to witness for Christ and his precious Advent movement. My wife, Nancy, and I, as Justin said, are going with you this afternoon. We went out witnessing last year in Louisville in the freezing cold weather, and thank the Lord it's a little bit warmer this year. And I know thousands of church members in these conferences, in this union, in this division, and around the world are going to be praising God for your willingness to go door to door in Jesus' name, inviting people to study the Bible with church members of the local churches in Baltimore who are working with you on this very special evangelistic outreach project. And actually, I am very glad to see in the midst of our audience today a number of leaders, some of my colleagues from the General Conference who have been with you and helping in seminars, and I praise God for them. I thank them for what they did earlier this morning at the beginning of Sabbath school. And I'm also very grateful for other youth leaders who are here with us, and especially Talking about our division, the North American division, I am very glad that our North American division president, Elder Dan Jackson and his wife Donna, are with us this morning, sitting on the front row. And the treasurer of the North American division is with them, Tom Evans. You know, it's always good to have the treasurer support you as well. <laughs> Praise God for their presence. May GYC serve as an example both to other supporting organizations and denominationally organized church structures in showing cooperative involvement in the mission of the church. An example to Seventh-day Adventists of all ages. Now, as we reflect on cooperative mission involvement, we can ask the rhetorical question posed or found in Amos chapter 3, verse 3. Can two walk together unless they are agreed? Now let me tell you the special relationship that the Seventh-day Adventist shares with supporting ministries like GYC is possible only by the commitment of each to Christ and the prophetic work with which he has entrusted us in these last days. There has never been a more important time to walk together and to work together as God's remnant people than in these last closing days of earth's history. We must take seriously the instruction in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 and 25, to consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. I want to tell you the day is approaching. Jesus is coming. Now, just a few months ago at the 59th General Conference session in Atlanta, I shared with the World Church my firm conviction that the Lord has established the Seventh-day Adventist Church in these last days to go forward in faith and by the power of the Holy Spirit finish the work of proclaiming the three angels' messages to the entire world. Now, I believe it is providential that I'm speaking to you under GYC's corresponding theme of no turning back. 
There is no doubt in my mind that the Lord is bidding us as a people, a remnant people, to go forward with no turning back. In your walk with Christ, turning even the slightest bit from absolute faithfulness to God and his word can have disastrous consequences. When Eve turned just slightly from God's word, she left herself open to the serpent's deceptions. When Lot's wife turned her head just one time for a forbidden glance at her former home, she lost her life. When the children of Israel wanted to turn away from the promised land and turn back to Egypt, their bodies were left lying in the desert. We must all live out the counsel of Paul who wrote in our scripture reading as it was read to us. Philippians 3, 13 and 14. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. No turning back. This was the walk of faith experienced by Abel, Enoch, Noah, Abraham, and Sarah. In fact, Hebrews chapter 11:13 declares, These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, were assured of them, embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. Now notice carefully that though they may have died never seeing the fulfillment of God's promises, they nonetheless lived with their eyes of faith fastened to the promises of God's word. It goes on to tell us how they were able to maintain this level of commitment in verse 15. And truly, if they had called to mind that country from which they had come, they would have had opportunity to return. These great men and women were heroes of faith because they never allowed the place from which they came out to occupy their minds. Once they left, they left with no turning back. This single-minded commitment to God and a straightforward understanding of his word was the Lord's intent for his chosen people Israel. Deuteronomy chapter 5, verses 32 to 33, tell us, Therefore you shall be careful to do as the Lord your God has commanded you. You shall not turn aside to the right hand or to the left. You shall walk in all the ways which the Lord your God has commanded you, that you may live and that it may be well with you, and that you may prolong your days in the land which you shall possess. As long as they were unwavering in their devotion to the Lord and his word, success was guaranteed. Yet instead, repeatedly, the Lord's people exchanged moving ahead in faith with turning back in fear. In Numbers chapter 14, verses 3 and 4, we hear them exclaim, Why has the Lord brought us to this land to fall by the sword, that our wives and children should become victims? Would it not be better for us to return to Egypt? Now, nothing against Egypt. I think some of you know I grew up in Egypt, and it's a wonderful country. 
But unfortunately, they had been slaves there and had a very difficult experience, but they wanted to return there. So they said to one another, let us select a leader and return to Egypt. Many years later, in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 3 to 4, the Apostle Paul instructed his young protege, Timothy, to preach the word. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers, and they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. Now, it's important to note that in both ancient Israel and the Christian church, God's people had no problem submitting to leadership just as long as the leaders capitulated to their desire to be led away from the Lord's commandments and be turned back to the world from which the Lord had delivered them. But this cannot be for God's people now. We must never deviate from the direction the Lord leads us according to his word. The closer we come to the second coming, it becomes more evident why Jesus declared Satan the ruler of this world. As the stream of modern culture rushes headlong toward destruction, standing firm on the solid rock of Scripture will make it appear as though you are removing yourself from society. Yet seeking the approval of God must always be the single objective of our lives with no turning back. In our entertainment, there must be no turning back. Ever-increasing technological advances are becoming commonplace in our society. For example, how many of you have sent or received a text message in the last 24 hours. I would be so bold as to say that a number of you have even texted while I have been preaching here. My point is that through modern technology, we have unlimited access to literally an entire world of communication and media that for all its evangelistic potential is often more detrimental than beneficial to our Christian walk. Though we live in the internet age and are almost continually subjected to the most powerful temptations through television, movies, music, literature, we must always guard the avenues of the soul. Even in the 21st century, Philippians 4 verse 8 is God's formula for right thinking, charging us to think only on those things that are true and noble, just, pure, lovely, of good report, and virtuous. Young people, let these biblical principles and the counsels of inspiration in the spirit of prophecy guide you in your entertainment choices. In our personal relationships, there must be no turning back. While we should always be outgoing and friendly to everyone, I hope this afternoon people are known throughout Baltimore, the Seventh-day Adventist Church is known as the friendliest church as you go door to door. However, we must be discerning and judicious about those in whom we place our personal confidence. 
Our closest relationships and our most trusted relationships and companionships should be built on the solid foundation of a common faith in God and the truths of His Word. After the instruction of 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14, do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. The passage continues with the salient rhetorical questions. For what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? And what communion has light with darkness? Young people, choose godly associates who will encourage your walk with Christ. If you have any relationships, platonic or romantic, that are displeasing to the Lord, I implore you to muster the holy boldness to separate yourself for their salvation and for your own. In our behavior, there must be no turning back. Today, much encouragement is given to behaviors that society deems acceptable, and I say acceptable in quotation marks, even laudable. But these are things that the Lord abhors. Promiscuity, homosexuality, violence, vulgarity, overindulgence, greed, pride, and all of these are seen as normal in current society, while a godly lifestyle marked by purity and temperance is ridiculed and mocked. But young people, do not let that discourage you. For those who would face the struggles of a godly life in an evil world, the words of Jesus are recorded in John chapter 15, verses 18 and 19. If the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. Yet because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. What a blessing to know that the Lord never asks you to walk a path he has not trod before. What an encouragement is ours when we read beautiful passages like in Hebrews chapter 4, verses 15 and 16, that we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Brothers and sisters, the same Jesus who has been where you are and faced what you faced has promised to give you the strength you need to walk with him victoriously. In our diligence at work and at school, there must be no turning back. The Bible repeatedly declares that our God is a God of excellence, as his representatives who were originally made in and are being restored to his image. We should strive for the excellence in all our undertakings as a witness for the glory of God. Complacency, apathy, and mediocrity at home or in the school should never be seen in the life of a Christian. I'm reminded of the prophet Daniel, whose excellence in all things 
won the favor of the king and the envy of his peers. In Daniel chapter 6, verse 4, we read the following. So the governors and satraps sought to find some charge against Daniel concerning the kingdom, but they could find no charge or fault because he was faithful, nor was there any error or fault found in him. I like the way the words are indicated in the New American Standard Bible that no negligence or corruption was to be found in him. Not only was Daniel's life free from corruption, it was also free of negligence. This combination of integrity and diligence was a witness for the glory of God. And I pray that Daniel's legacy of excellence is seen in the lives of each young person in the Seventh-day Adventist Church as we finish the work of God and hasten the coming of Christ. In our pursuit of science, there must be no turning back. In recent years, great concern has developed about the relationship of science to the Scriptures. The Lord desires us to consider all aspects of His creation, from biology and geology to psychology and sociology. However, we must always keep in mind that for every truth God has established, Satan conjures a counterfeit in an effort to turn minds away from understanding the will and the works of God. Nothing could improve on what has already been written by heavenly inspiration in the little book called The Faith I Live By, which is incredibly pertinent information for us today. And I quote, To many, scientific research has become a curse. God has permitted a flood of light to be poured upon the world in discoveries of science and art. But even the greatest minds, if not guided by the word of God in their research become bewildered in their attempts to investigate the relations of science and revelation. God is the foundation of everything. All true science is in harmony with his works. Let me repeat that. All true science is in harmony with his works. All true education leads to obedience to his government. Science opens new wonders to our view. She soars high and explores new depths, but she brings nothing from her research that conflicts with divine revelation. Believe it, young people. I urge all those who are engaged in scientific pursuits, either as students, educators, researchers, or practitioners, to heed this counsel as you seek to explore the wonders of God's creation. In the way we dress, there must be no turning back. Jesus was highly respected and deeply loved while having what Isaiah chapter 53 verse 2 says, there was no beauty that we should desire him. In all matters of life, Christ is to be our ultimate example of Christian appearance. Of course, you know, we're aware that there are those who go to extremes on either end of this issue. Some conform entirely to the world, while others seem to go 
out of their way to be so unnecessarily peculiar as to be purposefully unattractive. Neither one of these extremes is right. Listen carefully to the inspired balance on this issue found in Selected Messages, Book 3, page 245. We do not discourage taste and neatness in dress. Correct taste in dress is not to be despised or condemned. Now it goes on to say on the same page, self-denial in dress is part of our Christian duty to dress plainly, abstaining from display of jewelry and ornaments of every kind is in keeping with our faith. Young people, please use these principles from Scripture and the counsel from the Spirit of Prophecy and the example of Jesus as you choose what to wear that will best witness for the Creator God you serve. In our stewardship, there must be no turning back. I hope that all of you have been taught somewhere along the line, at home or in church, how to manage your God-given resources correctly. Be good stewards of your money. Faithfully return the Lord's tithe and give of your free will offerings. Be good stewards of your body. Consistently care for yourself according to God's practical and healthy eight natural remedies. Healthy vegetarian diet. Consistent exercise. Drinking enough water. Adequate sunlight abstaining from alcohol, tobacco, and illicit drugs, enjoying fresh air, getting appropriate rest, and trust in divine power. Let me tell you, as someone who is busy traveling around the world and doing all kinds of things that seem good, I need to pay attention to that myself. All of us do, to be good stewards of God's beautiful creation. Be good stewards of your time. Make sure that you set aside special time each day for prayer and for study. Again, I commend the young people for what they did last night and what they have been doing for the prayer time that you have been engaged in. Furthermore, keep in mind that while you have been given six days to labor and do all your work, the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. Too often we see Seventh-day Adventists I'm not condemning people, I'm just saying this is reality. We see them remembering that the Sabbath exists, but forgetting to keep it holy. I have to admit sometimes I'm part of that. How do we guard the edges of the Sabbath? The Sabbath is the seal of God's authority, the memorial of God's recent creative power, capping six literal consecutive contigu contiguous days of creating this earth with the marvelous seventh-day Sabbath, the beautiful crowning act. It demonstrates his redemptive power, a weekly invitation to draw near to him. And it is and will be the end-time sign of God's faithful people. Resist the temptation to abuse the Sabbath as merely free time to do whatever you like. Keep it holy through God's power by ceasing your normal activities, by making necessary preparations beforehand, worshiping the Lord and fellowshipping with believers in church, 
ministering to the spiritual needs of others and enjoying God's marvelous handiwork in nature. By these simple stewardship practices, you will continually find in the mercies of the Lord enough time, enough money, and enough strength, not only for your daily needs, but for use in the cause of the Lord. In our spiritual revivals, there must be no turning back. On March 22, 1887, Ellen White wrote the following words in an article for the Review and Herald entitled, The Church's Greatest Need. And I quote, A revival of true godliness among us is the greatest and most urgent of all our needs. To seek this should be our first work. Now today, I praise the Lord that so many Seventh-day Adventists are earnestly seeking the Lord's blessing and praying for a genuine revival and reformation in the lives individually and in the church collectively. But we must remain alert. Because, as we've already mentioned, the devil has a counterfeit for every truth of God. We have been cautioned both in the Bible and the spirit of prophecy that in the last days, Satan will unleash false revivals. Revivals of his own kind in an effort to deceive, if possible, even the very elect. Ellen White wrote pointedly to these very things that we actually see in our world today, moving within our ranks. In Selected Messages, Volume 2, page 23, we read, We are in continual danger of getting above the simplicity of the gospel. Can I underscore that to you, my dear friends at GYC, the simplicity of the gospel? Adventists, Seventh-day Adventists, are simple people, not simplistic, simple people in their lifestyle and in their worship to the Lord. But we are in danger of getting above the simplicity of the gospel. There is an intense desire on the part of many to startle the world, and I'm quoting here, startle the world with some, something original that shall lift the people into a state of spiritual ecstasy and change the present order of experience. There is certainly great need, and I'm quoting, there is certainly great need of a change in the present order of experience. For the sacredness of present truth is not realized as it should be. But the change we need is a change of heart and can only be obtained by seeking God individually for his blessing, by, by pleading with him for his power, by fervently praying that his grace may come upon us and that our characters may be transformed. This is the change we need today and for the attainment of this experience, we should exercise persevering energy and manifest heartfelt earnestness. What an appeal from God's servant. And why is it that the General Conference and other church organizations and hopefully your local church are lifting up the theme of revival and reformation? Why do we have materials and seminars on revival and reformation? Why do we have websites like revivalandreformation.org that offer vital information? Why do we even have a general conference revival and reformation committee? 
Is it just a lot of bureaucratic propaganda and promotion? No. It is for one purpose and one purpose alone, to focus our attention on our greatest need, which is a need for Jesus, his grace and his power in our lives through the word of God and the Holy Spirit so that we can be reformed and remade individually and corporately and become more and more like Jesus. As the Laodicean church described in Revelation chapter 3, we desperately need God's gold tried in the fire the white raiment of Christ's pure robe of righteousness and the eye salve of God's power so that we can see clearly. God wants to do something very special in his church. As we come to the very end of time, we realize that he wants to revive and reform and renew his people. He wants his people to proclaim the three angels' messages with latter rain power. He wants his people to fully know the word of God. Young people, you are to be a vital part of this great movement. We want to go home. No turning back. I'm so glad that your GYC leaders, I just commend them. I'm just excited that they have placed on each of your seats, and I hope you have your copy of this exciting book, True Revival, The Church's Greatest Need. It's a compilation of the writings of Ellen White. And I highly encourage each of you to read it, underline it, and follow the counsel of this wonderful Spirit of Prophecy book. I'm personally doing that myself. And those of you who are watching on television or hearing this or seeing it on Internet and don't have a copy of this marvelous book, be sure to get a copy from the Adventist Book Center or your conference, or the Review and Herald Publishing Association. Over 150,000 copies of this important book have already been sold. Let's blanket the world with multiple thousands more in various languages. Let us also distribute by the millions other Spirit of Prophecy books, including Steps to Christ, The Desire of Ages, Christ's Object Lessons, and the one book, that Ellen White wished distributed more than any other, the great controversy. No turning back. In our confidence, in the spirit of prophecy, there must be no turning back. Among some of our church members, there's the tendency to downplay or even dismiss the counsels of the spirit of prophecy. We hear today that while the writings of Ellen White may have some devotional value, we should not let her limited 19th century perspective shape our 21st century understanding of Bible truth. But I believe, and the Seventh-day Adventist Church firmly and unashamedly upholds that the spirit of prophecy is one of God's greatest gifts to his end-time remnant people. Trust the word of God. Trust the word of the Lord. And follow the counsel of his humble messenger, Ellen White.
Listen to me carefully. Let no one, local church leader, pastor, teacher, administrator, magazine or literature, or anyone, turn you away from that complete, absolute trust and confidence in the spirit of prophecy. Because the spirit of prophecy points to the Bible as God's authoritative word. Today I echo Paul's challenge in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 19 and 20. Do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophecies. Now in Selected Messages, book 1, page 48, we read the following. There will, now, th- this, is, this is so pertinent for today. It is, it is unbelievably realistic. There will be a hatred kindled against the testimonies. Now, those are the testimonies to the church, written through inspiration by God. Against the testimony which is satanic, the workings of Satan will be to unsettle the faith of the churches in them for this reason. Here it is. Satan cannot have so clear a track to bring in his deceptions and bind up souls in his delusions if the warnings and reproofs and counsels of the Spirit of God are heeded. My friends, though some around you may fall away, for the safety of your own soul, I plead with you to stay faithful. Let neither the subtle doubts nor the open ridicule of friends and family or anyone else turn you away from the truth of God and what he has shared with us through his chosen servant, Ellen G. White. Just read the spirit of prophecy and you will see God's guidance in what is written. Such consistent faithfulness to Christ and his word is only possible through the power of the Holy Spirit. The level of spiritual vitality to which we are called is not something that we can achieve by human effort. We must, in all that we do, rely on the Spirit of God to work in our hearts so that among God's faithful remnant there will be no turning back, no turning aside, no turning left, no turning right, no turning away, no returning to the world whatsoever. Friends, God is calling you to go forward in faith until we reach what Ephesians chapter 4 verse 13 calls the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. While society bombards you with the idea that youth is a time for reckless self-indulgence, God's word declares otherwise. Paul's counsel to young Timothy in 1 Timothy 4.12 is my counsel for all Seventh-day Adventist young people, whether here in Baltimore or around the world. Let no one despise your youth, but be an example to the believers in word, in conduct, in love, in spirit, in faith, in purity. It is my prayer that the greatest example of our faith and lifestyle shown to the world will be the youth of the Seventh-day Adventist Church. The same God that is calling you to go forward in faith with no turning back 
is the God who established the Seventh-day Adventist Church as his remnant people with a mandate to proclaim the three angels' messages to every nation, tribe, tongue, and people. This far-reaching and seemingly insurmountable goal cannot be attained haphazardly, but must be accomplished in an organized manner and with the full cooperation of both full-time church workers and dedicated lay members. We're told clearly in Gospel Workers, page 352, the work of God in this earth can never be finished until the men and women comprising our church membership rally to the work and unite their efforts with those of ministers and church officers. This method of work is not unique to our time. As we can see, that same expectation of cooperative effort in the history of both ancient Israel and the early Christian church. For instance, although there were clearly prescribed roles for the leaders of Israel's spiritual economy, each citizen of that chosen nation was still expected to be individually faithful to the Lord. In the book Exodus chapter 19, verses 5 to 7. We read the Lord's instruction to the children of Israel just prior to his giving of the Ten Commandments. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be a special treasure to me above all people, for all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation." Similarly, in the Christian church, the same requirements for every member to work individually for the cause of the movement remained. In his instruction to the New Testament body of believers, the apostle Peter echoed that which is found in the book of Exodus when he declared in 1 Peter 2, verse 9, you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. This council wasn't addressed merely to his fellow apostles or other church leaders, but was given to the entire body of Christ, every member included, young and old. Every member of the church was entrusted with the sacred responsibility to proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. I'm so glad that in addition to many young people here, we also have a number of older people, I guess like myself. But for this next part, I want to speak primarily to those who are 35 years or younger. Now let's just take a little, uh, a little uh, example of your response. By show of hands, respond to these questions. How many of you long to see Jesus come again? Amen. How many of you believe that the Seventh-day Adventist Church is God's end-time movement raised up to proclaim the three angels' messages to the world and hasten the soon coming? Amen. Now, 
Let's try a different question. How many of you attended your last local church business meeting? Far fewer hands, but thank you to those who did. Okay, let's try another series of exciting questions. How many of you believe that we're living in the very final days of Earth's history and by the grace of God, you want to be part of the 144,000 who will stand for the right though the heavens fall? Amen. How many of you want to be part of that army of youth who are rightly trained and willing to finish the work in this generation? Amen. Now, you don't have to raise your hands on the following, although some of you could. But I'm not asking you to raise your hands because we may get a similar response as we did to the question about the church business meeting. How many of you regularly attend prayer meeting at your local church? How many of you volunteer at your local community service centers? How many of you regularly seek out non-believers to lead Jesus through personal Bible study? How many of you teach in your church's cradle role or beginner's division, maybe kindergarten or primary or juniors or early teens or even the youth group? You've spent money to come to a very serious Bible conference here at GYC. But if we were to take an accurate poll Uh, Some of these questions, we may find that the responses are far too low. In fact, what would we discover if we surveyed the general membership of the Seventh-day Adventist Church? Probably a serious gap between intentions and actual participation. My young friends, through the Holy Spirit's power, we must bridge the gap between the grand ideals we long for and the practical duties we are faced with if we are to finish the work in this generation. We must come to the realization that the first step in finishing the work is actually going to work, as was God's plan for Israel and the Apostolic Church, the lifeblood of the Seventh-day Adventist movement is the participation of each member in the mission of the local church. Today, I am particularly appealing to the young people of this church worldwide in every setting of the church. In Christian Service, page 10, we read... We should all be workers together with God. No idlers are acknowledged as his servants. The members of the church should individually feel that the life and prosperity of the church are affected by their course of action. Who is the church? You are the church. I am the church. Young people, roll up your sleeves and work for Christ. Breathe life into your local Sabbath school program by showing up on time, having studied your Bible and your Sabbath school lesson, and being prepared to enthusiastically discuss discuss what you've learned. Now, let me just say something about Sabbath school. We are seeing in some parts of the world a decline in Sabbath school attendance. By God's grace, we must reverse that. Let Sabbath school be an important part of your spiritual life. A time when you discover new truths as you go through the Bible. Don't just discuss any old topic. Discuss the Bible. 
I want to encourage each of you to help older members to see young people in prayer meeting, interceding for others before God's throne of grace. Give the 85-year-olds a hand and meet some of the truly needy people in your area by volunteering at your community services center. Carry and distribute evangelistic literature wherever you go. Request that for one year, your local academy or college apply the time, energy, and money that would have been spent on varsity sports to instead be spent on evangelistic training, programming, and direct outreach to the community. Have a voice in the direction of your church by attending church business meetings and accepting when the nominating committee calls positions of responsibility, no matter how large or small those responsibilities may be. And for that matter, be willing to serve on the nominating committee if asked. I'm so glad that GYC has emphasized the total church seminars yesterday. Many of my colleagues were participating in that. And I praise the Lord for helping you to understand the need for total involvement on the part of young people. If the Seventh-day Adventist Church is ever going to meet the Lord's ideal of being his end-time remnant people, not just we as a denomination, not just GYC as a supporting organization, not just the youth or other denominationally organized events as a particular demographic, but it is you as an individual who must get to work for Christ in service for others. Again, on page 10 of that wonderful little book, Christian Service, we're cautioned that everywhere there is a tendency to substitute the work of organizations for individual effort. Don't let the church do it. You are the church. Human wisdom tends to consolidation, to centralization, to the building up of great churches and institutions. I'm quoting now. Multitudes leave to institutions and organizations the work of benevolence. They exercise themselves, they excuse themselves from contact with the world and their hearts grow cold. They become self-absorbed and unimpressible. Love for God and man dies out of the soul. Christ commits to his followers an individual work. I'm still quoting. A work that cannot be done by proxy. There is no such thing as a Christian drone that is going to do the work for God where he wants you to be. You must be a part of that. Continuing the quote. Ministry to the sick and and the poor, the giving of the gospel to the lost, is to be left is not to be left to the to committees or organized charities. Individual responsibility, individual effort, personal sacrifice is the requirement of the gospel. For far too long, in the Seventh Day Adventist Church and perhaps even within the GYC movement, could it be? that we have responded to God's call for workers with a safe, here we are, send us, instead of the more daring, here am 
I send me, as Isaiah proclaimed. The grand ideal of a generation of youth for Christ that will finish the work in this generation will become a reality only when we see manifested in the practical duties of our local churches a generation of you for Christ that is willing to individually go to work wherever the need exists. I recently heard a term coined for people who claim to be activists for a cause. I don't know about you, but many of us like to be involved in something. We get, we get active, we get really excited about something. But some of these people, and this is a term, who get excited but don't actually do anything, they're called slacktivists. Now, where an activist will make a serious, even painful sacrifice of their time, energy, reputation, money, relationships, or anything else that the cause requires, that's an activist. A slacktivist may wear some special symbol of support without actually helping in any tangible way. Slacktivists think they're supporting a cause because they post a link or comment on it in their social network site, or they wear a t-shirt, or something else. Young people, let me challenge you to go beyond the typical expectations of youth. Don't leave here just excited enough about the Advent movement that you merely wear your GYC t-shirt or post a bold but fleeting comment about your faith somewhere online, do better than that. Be better than that. In your walk with Christ, genuinely focus on the singular goal of the glory of God. Don't turn away from God's word and turn back to the allurements of the world. Spend serious time in daily prayer and Bible study, asking the Lord for a special outpouring of His Holy Spirit. Humbly ask the Lord for a revival of spiritual fervor and a reformation of anything in your life that is not in harmony with the commands of Scripture and the counsels of the Spirit of Prophecy. Sabbath, January 1, 2000. 11. What an appropriate time for revival and reformation. We want to go home. No turning back. Beyond just personal renewal, determined to play an active role in a genuine revival and reformation among God's remnant church leading to the latter reign of the Holy Spirit. As our consecrated General Conference Revival and Reformation Committee has recommended, take January 5 to 15 for 10 days of prayer as a special emphasis to prepare us for what is ahead. Reserve the first Sabbath of every quarter for fasting and prayer. Unite with millions of Seventh-day Adventist believers around the world at 7 in the morning or 7 in the evening or any time for that matter to pray for the Holy Spirit and reformed lives through focusing on the Word of God 
and the instructions of the spirit of prophecy. As young people of the worldwide Seventh-day Adventist movement, through God's leading and the power of the Holy Spirit, fulfill Malachi chapter 4, verses 5 to 6 by becoming part of the Elijah message, turning the hearts of the fathers to the children and the children to the fathers, uniting as one under the power of the Holy Spirit to proclaim the final cry to a dying world. Commit yourself to a personal effort, individual involvement, that will help your church family finish the work that God has entrusted to it. As members of GYC, which is a member of that wonderful organization, ASI, a group of strongly supporting ministries of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, continue to work closely with your local church. I want to underscore this. I want you to really get this point. Work with your local church your local pastor, your local youth organization, church administrators, your conference, union, division, youth departments, and their directors. Listen, my friends. Never allow anyone to accuse GYC of not working with the established church organization. Become so much a part of the outreach of this Advent movement that you are understood to be part and parcel of your local church and conference. Support and nurture other church initiatives of your local church and conference that are Bible and spirit of prophecy based. As you work together, your local church and conference will see you and your spiritual commitment to growing in Christ your commitment to practical service, your evangelistic outreach, and by God's grace, your local church will embrace you. The challenge I leave with you today, the point of this message, is that the Lord is calling for more than merely a generation of youth for Christ. God wants to see a generation of you for Christ. As great as it is that GYC exists and continues to hold these marvelous and wonderful annual conferences, what God really wants is an army of individuals who daily commit themselves to his working in their lives and their working in his body, the Seventh-day Adventist Church. When we each allow the Holy Spirit to change us into the likeness of Jesus Christ, we will automatically begin doing the work that Jesus has commanded us to do. In this way, the character of Christ will be seen in what we do, not merely in what we don't do. Ellen White describes the results of such a revival in Christ's Object Lessons, page 69, a familiar quote to many of you. When the character of Christ shall be perfectly reproduced in his people, I want to tell you that's only by his grace and only through connection with him. You can't work your way to heaven. Only through connection and reliance on Christ. When this character will be perfectly reproduced in his people, then he will come to claim them as his own. It is the privilege of every Christian not only to look for, but to hasten the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Were all who profess his name bearing fruit to his glory, how quickly the whole world would be sown with the seed of the gospel. 
Quickly, the last great harvest would be ripened and Christ would come to gather the precious grain. I want to tell you, I believe that time is soon. Brothers and sisters, young and old, go forward in faith with no turning back. Be part of the generation that will allow the Holy Spirit to fully develop within us the character of Jesus. Lean completely on him. Turn your back on self and look to Christ. As that wonderful book by Ellen White, Faith and Works, indicates on page 24, I recommend to all of you the two books. Oh, there are so many wonderful books in the spirit of prophecy. Steps to Christ and Faith and Works. Those beautiful volumes go together. Read them, study them, understand them. On that page 24, it says, Christ for our sakes became poor, that we through his poverty might be made rich, and any works that man can render to God will be far less than nothingness. Nothingness. How can you have anything less than nothingness? But that's what it is. My requests are made acceptable only because they are laid upon Christ's righteousness. The idea of doing anything to merit the grace of pardon is fallacy from beginning to end. Lord, in my hand no price I bring, simply to thy cross I cling. But when we place ourselves at the complete disposal of the Holy Spirit, he will do wonders and miracles through us. So I challenge you today, to do more than attend the Generation of Youth for Christ Conference, determined by God's grace to be the generation of you for Christ that will hasten his soon coming by the finishing of the work in this generation. The Holy Spirit is working in so many incredible ways to attract young people into complete service for Christ. Recently, I was in Brazil and heard about Alex. By the age of 13, Alex was a very accomplished, small bike trickster, a real expert and a real show-off. He developed tremendous skill and, of course, if you're not careful, popularity will go to your head and turn you away from God. Unfortunately, over time, Alex got into drugs and the crime scene, and eventually he ended up in prison. His sister, Daniela, had a real burden for Alex. And one day, a faithful literature evangelist came to her door. Young people, use the heaven-ordained power of the printed word and the electronic word in sharing the three angels' messages. Many of you have had the opportunity to share the precious truth as door-to-door -door gospel workers or student literature evangelists. Praise God for the Megabook program, for the student literature program, and for full-time literature evangelists. Well, in this situation, a literature evangelist came to Daniela's door and sold her a copy of The Great Controversy. I love that book. Heaven only knows the times the Holy Spirit has used that book to convict people of truth. Daniela bought the book and realized it was exactly what Alex needed in prison, so she sent it to him. He began to read it along with his Bible and soon was taking Bible studies. As a result of his study, he gave his heart to God, was baptized, 
and joined the Seventh-day Adventist Church. Today, I'm happy to report that Alex is out of prison and is working his way through an Adventist college as a literature evangelist sharing with others the precious three angels' messages that rescued him. For Alex, there is no turning back. He is part of that generation of you for Christ. Are you willing to be part of it? Are you willing to lay everything at Jesus' feet and say, Lord, use me completely in your service as I return home to my local church and school? Lord, I want to see you come quickly. I want the Holy Spirit to revive me and reform my life. I want to be prepared for the latter reign of the Holy Spirit to fall on me. I want to stand firm for the Word of God and trust the spirit of prophecy. I'm not just speaking to all the young people here now. I'm speaking to everybody. I want to stand firm for the Word of God and trust the spirit of prophecy. I want to be part of the great Advent movement through service to others and evangelistic outreach. Lord, use me today. I want to see you come in the clouds of glory. If you want to make that kind of commitment to Christ today, young or old, of any age, would you just stand to your feet right now? Amen. I long to see Jesus come even more than I ever have. Two and a half weeks ago, I lost my precious 90-year-old father. He went to sleep in Jesus, awaiting his soon return. As a pastor and a church leader, my father believed in the young people of this church. He believed in me. And I want to tell you, I believe in you also. This church was started by young people. And by God's grace, young people will play a pivotal role in fulfilling its mission. God has called you as young people for this hour. We're standing in the very end tips of the toes of the prophecy of Daniel 2. We are living in the time in which the last days predicted in the book of Revelation are taking place. The latter rain will fall soon to empower God's people as they submit completely to him. Christ is coming soon. God is calling for you to go forward with no turning back. God is calling you to submit your life to Christ's power, to make you more and more like him. God is calling you to make the personal sacrifice required to be a mission generation of you for Christ. I'm going to make a more specific appeal. I'm glad there are so many willing to stand in the crowd and so many people, young and old, were standing. But now I want to make an appeal to that young, that young group, 35 or younger. Are you willing to come forward in commitment to something more concrete? I'm going to ask for some specific things here now. These are specific requests. Some of them you may be able to fulfill, others not. But as a whole, listen to them. And if you feel committed, come forward. The mission of the Seventh-day Adventist Church requires more than slacktivism. 
This is no time for half-hearted effort or merely good intentions. We need an army of young people who will individually determine to return to their home churches and take an active role in finishing the work of the Lord. I'm talking to young people now. If you're willing to personally commit to helping teach a children's Sabbath school division or regularly attend a prayer meeting or accompany the elders as they visit the members of your church or those who are sick, please just slip out of those rows and find your way down to the front. If you're ready to demonstrate an interest in the administration of your local church by attending business and other meetings or in conjunction with your pastor and your church board, organize and implement an evangelistic training and outreach program, come on down to the front. If you're willing to regularly sacrifice a portion of your time to distribute literature like the leaves of autumn, please come down to the front. If you're willing to sacrifice some of your time to volunteer at your local community services center or door-to-door inviting people to join you in Bible study, come down to the front. If you're willing to lead a Sabbath school in lesson study at your school in an effort to revitalize your Sabbath school class, please come down to the front. If you're ready to covenant with the Lord to do more than stand in the crowd, more than just wear the t-shirt, but in some tangible, self-sacrificial way, become active in the life and the mission of your local church this year, come down to the front. The front's already full, but there are plenty of places where you can let your determination be known. Young people, here and everywhere in the world, Join me and your church in making that complete commitment to our soon coming King Jesus Christ as an army of young people, a generation of you for Christ who will never, ever turn back. I invite you now in the quietness of the ending of our Sabbath service to pray together to seal this commitment. I'm going to ask you to just find somebody right next to you, and this includes everyone in the audience, someone next to you and have a short prayer earnestly praying for revival and reformation that we need to never turn back. And when you're finished, I'm going to close with prayer. And after we finish with that prayer, we're going to sing our theme song, No Turning Back. I invite you now, turn to a person next to you and pray. Now, Lord, we want to commit all those who have made commitments to you, we want to commit them into your hands. Don't let them leave here just with a spiritual high and then let the devil hijack them into something else. Keep them faithful to you, Lord. Help them to keep their eyes completely focused upon Jesus, upon his word, upon the proclamation of this precious Advent message 
the proclamation of the three angels' messages and lifting up Christ as the only hope for this world. Bless as we go out this afternoon. Lord, help our faces to be radiant with a connection to Christ. Lord, help us to truly understand what it means to be part of the life and the mission of the Seventh-day Adventist Church. Bless each one who has committed themselves, young and old, today. Seal these prayers of commitment with your blessing. Lord, use us. And may we never, ever turn back. In the name of our wonderful Savior, our Lord, our best friend, and our coming King, Jesus Christ. Amen. This message was produced by GYC, a supporting ministry of the Seventh-day Adventist Church. GYC seeks to inspire and equip young people to be vibrant, Bible-based, and Christ-centered Christians in contemporary contexts. To download or purchase other resources like this, or if you have been blessed by GYC and would like to donate, visit gycweb.org or email info at gycweb.org. You could also reach us via mail at P.O. Box 3786 Ann Arbor, Michigan 48106. This recording is licensed under Creative Commons. This means you can copy and share it with anyone you like. Please attribute this recording to GYC wherever you reuse it. And keep in mind that resale and alteration are strictly prohibited. <laughs>